Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, Freedom Valley. Well, we are in a series right now called Solutions. This is week number two. Now, there's a saying, maybe you've heard it before, and it goes like this. God helps those who help themselves. Apparently, one in eight Americans believe that the Bible says this, that 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 is me. This phrase is not in the Bible. There are many sayings that we pass around in our culture that are very biblical. The golden rule, for example, is in every elementary school, and it comes from the word. But the saying, God helps those who help themselves, not actually in the Bible. The Bible says some things that are maybe a little similar, but not exactly that phrase or that exact meaning. And yet, we can't deny that there is some truth in there somewhere, right? But where is it? Today, we're going to the book of Esther in this solution series where we are exploring how we are solutions looking for problems in our world, how God has enabled us and empowered us to preach the gospel, to be the salt and light of the world. And so go ahead and turn in the Old Testament to the book of Esther. Now, a little background about this book before we get into it. This is a a very unique book within the word for a few reasons. First of all, there seems to be sort of a theme, a thread throughout this entire book of power grabbing. Everybody wants a little piece of the power of the king, but there's also a, a thread of luck, what seems like chance throughout this book. It seems to say when you roll the dice against the people of God, the dice roll against you. You'll see what I mean as we read through some of this, but there's also a a little bit of moral ambiguity in the book. We, We see the Jewish people are integral in this story, and yet they're sort of hiding too. We see them integrating into culture, even pieces that aren't so godly, and yet they are still models of faith when things get tough. But the biggest way that this book is unique is that God is not mentioned even once throughout this entire book. He's not mentioned. His name, his person, he's not mentioned, which honestly is interesting to me. I mean, this is the word of God, after all. You would think he'd be mentioned throughout all of it, and yet here's a book where he's not mentioned. And it's actually something I I think about a lot. It's as if God seems to say, it doesn't matter whether you mention me or not. It doesn't matter whether you speak to me or not. My will will be accomplished, right? Or maybe he included it in the Bible to to send this clear message to us that even before you know to pray for a problem, even before you know the problem exists, I've already put things in place, people in place, ready to solve it for you. Now, We won't go through this whole story today. It's a really interesting read. Definitely read it today if you get the chance. But what essentially happens in this story is that Esther, she's a young, beautiful orphan being raised in her cousin's household. Esther is chosen to be queen. Not 
because she's worthy, and we don't get that explanation, not because she's godly, we're not even sure about that, but because she's beautiful. (laughs) Essentially, she wins a beauty contest, and when her cousin discovers a plot to kill all of the Jews by a man named Haman, which basically Hitler, okay? When you hear Haman, just think Hitler. He wants to wipe out all the Jews, and so when he discovers this plot against the king, they make a plan together to ask the king to stop it. It's a plot against all of Jews, actually. They want to wipe them off the face of the earth. And this is a plan that goes back generations in Haman's family. They want to wipe them off the face of the earth. And it, it almost seems like luck, but their plan works. All of the right things happen in the right order to the right people, and it just works out. You might call it luck or chance, maybe wisdom, but things just seem to work out for Esther and her cousin Mordecai. And for the Jews overall, they end up coming out of this terrible ordeal we see in the book of Esther, better off than they were before. Lucky, huh? In fact, the book sort of seems to say, again, when you roll the dice, when you chance it, when you take a chance against the people of God, the dice end up rolling against you. In fact, the bad guy in the book, this Haman Hitler character, he ends up getting impaled on a 75-foot pole that he intended for Mordecai. And the Jewish people come out on top with their own in the queen's chair. I mean, everything works out. But there is this moment in the middle of the book that's sort of Esther's moment. This moment where she moves from victim to victor. This moment where, where she realizes that she is the problem solver to this problem. So let's read Esther 4, starting in verse 7, and see this unfold. Verse 7 says, Mordecai told Esther's servant, Hathak, the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. It's a big job. It's a big ask. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. And you can feel the panic in this reply. You can feel the fear. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die. Unless the king happens to be in a good mood, right? Unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him in 30 days. In other words, he's not likely to call me. And and he's a little bit of an insolent jerk. (laughs) So we see earlier in the book, he acts very immaturely and out of anger and out of emotion and out of drunkenness, okay? You, You never know what you're walking into when you walk into this king. I can't just enter his court. What do you mean, Mordecai? You're asking me to go on a suicide mission. So Hathak gave Esther her message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape 
when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Hear the faith in that. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Hear the purpose in that. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Esther's resolve, her courage, her sense of purpose is inspiring here. She moves from, I'm scared, I can't do this, to, okay, let's do this, (laughs) pretty quickly, Right, But there's a couple of things that go into that that we have to take note of because honestly, a lot of us tend to take on that victim mentality, but we don't move from victim to victor nearly as quickly as Esther did. And there's a few hints in here that will help us do that better. Number one, Esther seems to have a very real passion for his purposes, for God's purposes, not her own. She started off with excuses, sure, and, you know, hey, we're all going through something rough, right? The excuses we try to throw out, uh, it sounds harsh, but they just don't matter. The excuses cannot be allowed to get in the way of your purpose. It doesn't mean you have to know what that purpose is exactly all of the time, but if you go through life believing that God has something big for you, something big that you're meant to accomplish. When that big thing comes, you'll know it. Esther said, uh, Mordecai said, for such a time as this, right? Mordecai knew Esther was there for a reason. He didn't see power as something to aspire to for his own personal gain or Esther's personal gain. He saw it as for the gain of his people, of his God and of the kingdom overall, not for himself. And I think we might never say this out loud, but we get caught up in thinking that that our purpose is for ourselves, is for building the life that we want. If we can just get the two-car garage and the big screen TV and the white picket fence and get our kids going to the right schools and whatever, if we can just arrange this perfect life, then we'll fulfill our purpose. Right? And again, none of us would ever say that. That's not what Hollywood teaches us. That's not what the Bible teaches us, right? Our, our culture doesn't ever say that, and yet we get stuck in these ways of thinking, like, like it's all about me. And our actions show us where that true sense of purpose comes from, pursuing all of these other things, pursuing this sense of self. All of that is lies, It's empty, it's meaningless, so that when we actually accomplish those things in our lives or acquire those things, that we just move that ambition to something else. We attach it to something else. That must be the thing that makes me feel complete. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying ambition is wrong or having goals in life is wrong. It's when we find our sense of purpose in that alone that gets us off track. God has a purpose for you. 
that is bigger than the kind of house you live in or having all of the right things. You will find fulfillment in his purpose, but it's not going to be comfortable most of the time. There's actually a big danger as, as Christians of being too comfortable. We start to tend to equate comfort with God's favor or his blessing. And you're comfortable for too long, you start to think this is how life should be. And then you start to avoid the uncomfortable at all costs and you miss what God has for you. If you back out when the going gets tough, deliverance will arise, but maybe not for you. If you go on believing that it's someone else's job, deliverance may pass you by. We have to develop passion for his purposes, not our own. Esther had passion for his purposes that overrode her own ambition, her own self-preservation tactics even, passion for his purposes. And the second thing we see her having is this sacrificial selflessness. God is looking for people who are willing to say, use me, even when it's tough. And I know this, this prayer, use me, it, it seems and it sounds really mature and sort of seductive. Uh, of course I, I pray that God would use me. Of course I do. Let me just clarify, this is actually one of the most courageous and bold prayers you can possibly pray when you actually mean it. When you're actually committed to his purposes, on almost the second that you pray it, it's tested. It's easy to want to be queen, but it's not actually easy to be queen. No one else could have done what she did. It had to be her. And I know leadership and these big purposes, these big callings, they're always talked about as being very glamorous. But it only feels glamorous like 5% of the time. The rest of it is actually really, really hard, sacrificial work. You don't get what you want. You have to do what's best for the overall. You, you don't get to do what's comfortable. You have to do what's necessary. And you have to constantly learn how to love more people better. And that sometimes takes some risks, some heart risks. But maybe Esther was made queen for such a time as this. Maybe you were made mother of that kid for such a time as this. Maybe you were made husband and father in that family for such a time as this. Maybe you were put in that job for such a time as this. When we start to look for our purpose, look at it with a sacrificial, selfless attitude, we start to see that purpose everywhere. And believe me, once you've done that thing, once you've accomplished that purpose, it doesn't just stop there. I may not say this in Esther, but I can tell you from personal experience, once you've conquered one enemy, another one pops up, right? And now Esther the pretty, <laughs> the one who won the beauty contest, the pretty becomes the girl who saves her people. She becomes Esther the courageous, Esther the wise, and of course she's going to be presented with new challenges, bigger ones next time. God uses people. And if you're out there 
crying about something, crying out to God, saying, God, why won't you do something about this? Maybe it's you who God has called to do something about this because God uses people. If you want to get theological about it, it's called incarnational ministry. He uses people. He doesn't just part the Red Sea. He asks Moses to put his staff in the Red Sea, and then he parts it. He doesn't just save everyone from their sins. He sends Jesus as a human being, incarnational ministry. God uses people. Mordecai and Esther have faith that God will provide a way out, but they also know that we have some responsibility in that. Sacrificial selflessness, passion for his purposes. Number three, in Esther's case, she not only had that passion, she not only had that selflessness, but she also had this foundation of faith. Something underneath all of that. Right? A foundation of faith. And so when faced with something difficult, she knew what she had to do. She asked for help. Right? She's well aware now that she alone must do this. There's no one else that can do this for her. But even though she must be physically alone to get the job done, she knows she doesn't have to be spiritually alone. She asks for help. This is super important in our current season, right? Just because we have to be physically alone does not mean we have to be spiritually alone. She asked her friends and family to fast with her. She said, go and gather the people because honestly, after a three-day fast, things will either look very different or you'll be much more determined. Fasting tends to have a unique effect on you. It gives you clarity and wisdom beyond anything you had before. It helps you separate that, that spirit man with your physical body, who you are versus this flesh that you're using right now. It sounds weird and maybe a little gross when I put it that way, but it really does separate your will from your body and helps you determine who is in charge. She had them fast. She fasted. They reached out to the God of heaven and earth and asked for help. God places us in families, in tribes, in communities. We need each other. Even when we can't be together, we need each other. Don't go through what you're going through alone. Don't expect everyone to know what you're going through. Reach out. I've talked to a few people during this crazy season that says, well, you know, I, I want to be in a group of people, but nobody reaches out. I'm alone all the time. What, what am I supposed to do? which I desperately want to say, well, who have you called, right? Who have you reached out to? Have you texted anyone lately to check in? Have you asked anyone else how they're doing? Tell someone you're struggling and that you need to talk and ask them if they need to talk too. Ask for help when you need it. She had a foundation of faith. A whole group of people that helped her have faith when she was a little shaky. Foundation of faith. And number four, Esther had this resolute resolve. 
And as I was studying this, I honestly felt like this one was for me. And maybe many of you are in this season too. If you know that God has called you to something, don't look back. Don't second guess. Don't self-doubt. Resolute resolve. If he called you to it, no matter how dangerous or scary, he will see you through it. Be patient. Don't make a move without him. Listen to the Holy Spirit closer than you ever have and move with him. Not against him or ahead of him. Move with him. This, the end of this story is chock full of what seem like lucky moments. Like the king just happens to remember something at the right moment. And the bad guy just happens to build a pole to impale his enemy on. And the question gets asked at just the right moment. It all seems very lucky. Like things are just falling into place. Like fate is on their side. Like God really is helping those who help themselves. In the end, the Jews get their victory. The king couldn't stop his own decree, but he made a few more. <laughs> it's basically like the purge, but racist. <laughs> it's a crazy day where everybody gets to attack one another without repercussions. One day where the Jews could be attacked, but not only did the Jews get to prepare, they got to defend themselves. They got to fight back. And so they did. They ended up being better off in the end than they were before all of this. Not because of luck, but because a few faithful people in God's hands can save a nation. Does God help those who help themselves? I believe God helps the faithful. He helps the faithful. Once you stick to it, pursue a passion for his purposes, have sacrificial selflessness, have that resolute resolve, a foundation of faith. He helps the faithful, even when we make mistakes, even when we're a little morally questionable sometimes. He helps the faithful. Do you know the festival of Purim is still celebrated to this day? by Jews all over the world in the month of February, celebrating the idea that no matter how the Jews' enemies roll the die, it will always eventually fall in their favor as long as they serve and worship their God. What some people call luck and fate, we call favor, blessings from the Lord. It's not a blanket favor that comes to every believer just because it comes when you're actively doing the will of God. When you're doing his will, God will go before you. When you understand who you are and whose you are, life seems to make a whole lot more sense. Understand that you are the son or daughter of the king. And you have a job on planet earth. That job is to serve him with everything that you have. When you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will make sure you have everything you need. This solution series isn't just about the problems in your life being totally up to you to fix. You are not alone in this. The weight of the world isn't on your shoulders. This isn't just about having enough faith to do your part. It's about trusting that God will do the rest. 
that once you've done your part, once you've done all that you can do, he steps in and miraculously solves the problem. He fixes it. Jesus already died on the cross. You don't have to be the savior of the world. That's not what it means to be the solution. He's not asking you to save everyone from their sins because he's already done that. He's just asking you to tell them about him. Tell them about the hope that you've found and trust him with the rest. As followers of Jesus, we don't just sit back and wait for everything to fall into place. We get up and we follow Jesus, putting one foot in front of the other. And he leads us into crazy situations sometimes. He asks us for impossible things, but he doesn't leave us alone in that. Why rely on luck when you have God? Why not ask him for wisdom and guidance next time something big comes up in your life? Why not go into each of those situations looking for the purpose and direction that comes from him instead of everywhere else? We have access to the God of heaven and earth. God who knows you better than you know yourself. And maybe you were put in this place or position in life that you're in to use the faith and wisdom that God has given you and to be the solution. Now, I don't believe that the events in Esther's life were luck at all. I believe that God had a solution in mind long before the problem ever even became a reality. Maybe I can be a solution like that for someone in my life. Maybe you can. Maybe I can be the tool that God uses to save someone from miserable eternity by just having passion for his purposes, sacrificial selflessness, a foundation of faith, people around me that can help me pray, and this resolute resolve, refusing to doubt myself. I can be a solution in my world, looking for a problem. Father, today we ask you for that wisdom, that passion, that selflessness, that faith foundation. God, give us the resolve to get this job done. Help us be the passionate, vibrant, selfless church you've called us to be, to go into our world understanding that we have been sent for a reason. You've given us a job to do on this earth. Help us deliver that hope, that healing, salvation, selflessness to the people around us. And whatever ways you've called us to do that, with whatever tools you've called us to do that. Some of you today, feel like, you know, I can't even see past the problems in my own life. I've made so many mistakes. How can I possibly be a solution for someone else? And maybe that's because you haven't fully surrendered yourself to him yet. And you're still seeing the positions in your life as power moves for you as promotions or raises for you and not for his glory and honor. Maybe you've stopped looking for his purposes 
in your life. And maybe today you need to fully surrender yourself and truly ask God to use you. I would encourage you to have that honest conversation today. God wants to have it with you. Maybe some of you, you've never given your life to Jesus at all. You're still trying to do things yourself are finding it very empty, meaningless. I'm here today to tell you that you will never find true fulfillment and meaning in your life until you've fully surrendered it to Jesus Christ. He will sustain you. He will guide you, keep you, fulfill you. He wants to give you life and life abundantly. He wants to give you purpose in everything you do. Ask him into your life today. It really is that simple. Ask him to forgive your selfishness and make you new again. Give you a fresh start in life. Make you the vibrant, passionate, selfless person he's called you to be. He wants to do that for you. He's already done it. He sent his son. All you have to do is claim that, to tell him, I'm in. I'm in for following Jesus. I'm in for living a selfless life for him. I'm in for his purposes. God, whatever you have for me, I want to start brand new today. If that's you and you're making that decision, you're, you're in to following Jesus for the first time, or, or maybe it's been a really long time, type, I'm in, in the comments. We would love to help you with that decision, give you some tools to help you in this brand new life. Father, we thank you once again for your wisdom and guidance. Thank you that you've given us stories like these throughout the world to encourage us in our passion for your purposes, to help us live that sacrificial, selfless life, to give us the foundations of faith to surround us and support us when we're feeling weak. Father, give us that resolute resolve Take away the self-doubt, the anxiety, the fear. Help us walk on water with you. Help us get out of the boat into those scary places that you've called us to. Help us to overcome that fear and proclaim your hope and goodness for the world to see. Thank you for calling us to be a vibrant, passionate, selfless church who changes the world with the message of the gospel. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. church. How are you doing? If your life is like mine, and I know it is, you, you're stuck in, uh, in quarantine land, right? And uh, what, a, what a crazy season, right? I mean, I was just with you, uh, what, six weeks ago, seven weeks, I don't know. And, and our whole world has seemingly turned upside down since then. It really has. But I'm so glad to just to spend a minute with sharing something with you here real quick. I've been uh, following with the new sermon series that you're doing there at church called Solutions, you know, being the solution or a solution. And um, Pastor Candace reached out and said, hey, would you just share a word of encouragement 
to the Freedom Valley family. And I'm so glad to do that because I, I love the Freedom Valley family. It feels like home every time I see one of your posts, every time I'm able to be with you. And uh, so what a joy just to share uh, two thoughts just to encourage you as, as you are in this season like everyone else in the world is and as you are in this sermon series called Solutions. So right after I was with you, I was teaching a course through the prison epistles. And obviously we moved the whole thing online. You know, I wasn't able to be there in person. Um, but as I was teaching through prison epistles, I was struck with a thought that I probably had never entertained prior to, to that moment. And, and I was thinking about the apostle Paul, right? The apostle Paul prison epistles. He, he wrote, you know, over half of the new Testament anyways, but the, the prison epistles, if you're not familiar with those books, those are, that's the book of Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon. And Paul writes them when he's under house arrest in the city of Rome, right? Now, here's what's interesting to me. And this was the thought the Holy Spirit just highlighted in my heart. Paul loved to travel. Paul was a, was a, a, he was a preacher. He was an apostle. He was a house to house, city to city, jump on a boat, go to the next place, you know, set up his tent business, plan a church and so on and so on. Those were his methods, right? His go-to methods, if, if, you, if you will. Yet all of a sudden, all of those are, are ripped right out of his hands when he's sent into a house arrest. Much like what you and I have experienced, much of our life has been taken away in a sense. We've been quarantined. The way we're experiencing, uh, you know, church has been radically, uh, you know, radical change has been forced on us. And so here we are not being able to use our go-to methods of meeting together as the people of God and, and worshiping together in corporate worship and all new methods. Now, here's the thought for you. You and I should be glad that the Apostle Paul was forced into a brand new method in a brand new way, because in doing so, he became a solution. He became a solution, not just for the churches in, in Philippi and the churches of Galatians and Ephesians and, and, and the personal letter that he writes to Philemon, but he, he became a solution for generations to come, for tens of millions of people. Well, let me break it down like this. Had not Paul been forced into a new method, writing from prison, you and I would have never had the benefit of the life change that's been brought to us by some of the powerful doctrine in books like Ephesians and Galatians and some of the practical life experience that we can gain out of books like Philippians, right? His, his new method, Paul's new method of writing that was forced on him was actually significantly more fruitful than his preaching ever was. How do I know? Because you and I have never heard the Apostle Paul preach a live sermon, have you? I haven't, right? But our lives have been deeply impacted by what he did in that prison cell. So, so here's the message to you. Be the solution and find a way to be fruitful in your life even during this difficult season. And what you might discover as you adopt some new methods and you try some new things, what you might discover is that the new method that God has gently, well, not gently, the new method that you've been forced into in a short amount of time might actually produce more fruit in your life than what your go-to methods would, right? Let me give you one more verse here and just we'll, we'll wrap up this video here. In John 15, Jesus talks about 
the, the, the vine and he talks about his father being the gardener and he talks about he's the vine, he's the root system, you and I are the branches and if we abide in him, then we'll produce much fruit, right? A lot of fruit, right? We all want that in our lives. But then the father who's the gardener comes along and he prunes. And what does the text say? It says first that he'll prune away every dead branch. I think God's doing that in this season. He's pruning away some dead branches in my life, in your life, and in the church in general, right? But it also says he prunes back even the good branches so that they'll produce even more fruit. And I, I believe this for Freedom Valley Church. I believe this in general, but I just want to speak this word over your life. When we come back, we'll produce even more fruit. This is not just a setback. This is a set up. And this is, this is God redeeming this moment in the history of our nation for hundreds of thousands of people to be saved. I'm, I'm reading reports now that, uh, of hundreds of thousands of people. I'm hearing some church leaders say, it doesn't feel like it, but you and I are living in the great quarantine revival. And so I, I just encourage you, man, be the solution, embrace the new method, embrace the pruning season that we're in because as we go through it and we come out on the other side we're going to be stronger and we're going to produce more fruit we're going to be more effective we're going to be able to offer more to our family to our places of employment to our church to our community and freedom valley you're going to be right on the front lines of all of that so i love you i bless you in the name of the lord i speak favor over your church and over your ministry and, and over your pastors, Pastor Candace and Pastor Jason, Pastor Aaron, and so many other staff members there that help make it happen. I just speak blessing over you right now. You're going to produce more fruit than you've ever produced before. Be a solution. God bless you guys. Love you so much.